This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is a Tuesday midday here on the Built by Bama online podcast. Time once again for T. Watts and T.R. here with you. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com. Joined as always by site publisher Tim Watts. And Tim, I'm over here in Tuscaloosa. I'm looking outside the day after the news breaks that Scott Cochran, 13 years as the strength and conditioning coach for Nick Saban at the University of Alabama, has decided to move on to the field at the University of Georgia with Kirby Smart. I'm looking outside here, Tim. The sun did, in fact, rise in Tuscaloosa today. That's not to undervalue the significance of Scott Cochran uh, in terms of his contributions to these five national championships that Alabama has won under Nick Saban. Uh, But perhaps it is telling that, in fact, uh, it looks like the program will indeed move on, Tim, following the departure of Scott Cocker. Yeah, you know, the it was really a mystery. I mean, I I'm sort of got mixed emotions on this because <clears throat> I think it's a good good situation for Scott Cochran. I know several coaches that that like him and respect him, and they've said for three years now he wants to be an on the field coach. Never got that opportunity at Alabama, but the national media's portrayal of Kirby took him from Nick and all. I mean, look, if you've got a girlfriend and she wants to get married and you want to engage her and she leaves, you won't, you won't, you won't get engaged to be married and she leaves for somebody else to marry. I don't think you lost her. You let her walk away. I mean, Nick Saban had every opportunity to keep Scott Cochran. That doesn't really take away from the fact George is doing as far as Cochran being a coach. I mean, it remains to be seen. I talked to several college coaches last night that had mixed reviews. Um, I'll agree. He's a high energy guy. He's an effort guy so that's certainly going to help him but the the national media and some of the way this was portrayed was just it was just odd for me you know here's the thing this isn't a like for like uh coup for kirby right this isn't kirby taking scott cochran strength coach at alabama and making him strength coach at uga He's no making him an on the field assistant so while it, it could potentially weaken Alabama, we'll see. I think we're going to talk about that, too, and sort of the options that Nick Saban's well, going to have to work with. Well, you know, Kirby tried to get Scott Cochran when he went to Georgia right. and couldn't get as a strength coach. Right. This was a strength coach issue. I mean, he's obviously compensated well. Um, you know, I think he'd have been in Alabama. So the only way to really get him is to put him on the field. Now, again – is he a great coach? Could he be a great coach? I don't know. I think it remains to be seen, you know, like with any coach. What so. about what about from the recruiting perspective? Because I think with with Saban and his disciples, and you know this better than anybody, uh, recruiting is given some consideration in each and every hire that these guys make. Do you think that Kirby sees a pretty high ceiling for Scott Cochran on the recruiting trail because of some of those personality attributes, the energy, the persona. Scott Cochran is a known dude. You don't typically say that. He made the sort of strength and conditioning position highly visible in this era of college football. He is the face of strength and conditioning coaches. So he's got some cachet going over to Athens and maybe on the recruiting trail because a lot of these kids are going to know who Scott Cochran is. But as a recruiter, can you see that with Cochran potentially, or do you think there's maybe some cons to to what Scott Cochran will bring to the recruiting aspect of this thing too? Well, absolutely. Recruiting is about relationships. And while he has relationships with the kids that came to visit possibly, I mean, you you know, one of the guys, you know, Georgia Law, Stacey Coley, for instance, he had an area in South Florida where he had, he had great relationships that he spent years and years um, recruiting. And you see that. I mean, Scott Cochran doesn't have an area. And I think, you know, I would be surprised if a lot of freshmen and eighth graders not from the state of Alabama knew who Scott Cochran was. And Georgia, don't forget, recruits on a national level. 
And I can tell you, you know, the, the Ringo kid they signed from Arizona uh, probably didn't know who Scott Cochran was. He probably does now, but he probably didn't. I mean, so you're talking like a regional thing. I mean, you go to an Alabama game and you hear, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people knew Scott Cochran for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Highly visible. But I don't know how many actually know him. Um, high energy guy that always helps on the recruiting trail. But, you know, that can be not everybody's about that high energy. You know, you get that person. If you're not a morning person, you got that high energy person screaming, you know, good morning to you. You know, it, it can get on your nerves. So I think it's just going to be hit or miss. I don't really see a negative for Georgia, to be honest, because you put it specialty, put them in a special teams yeah. position where it's low risk. The negative is if the special teams isn't very good for Georgia this year, they're going to blame Scott Cochran, and he's probably had no impact on it. So there, that's going to be, you know, a little bit of pressure for him. Um, but overall, I mean, I, you know, as a recruiter, I mean, he's definitely high energy, but, you know, it's more than just sitting in a living room and screaming real loud. Yeah, the most the most impactful change to that Georgia staff really this offseason has come on the offensive side of the ball where you mentioned James Coley has moved on from UGA uh, to Texas A&M to work now under Jimbo Fisher. Todd Munkin has come in previously at the Cleveland Browns to sort of try to kickstart an offense that really had become outdated in terms of its approach and its style here in recent years. So we'll see how that goes. That's going to impact Georgia and impact that matchup, by the way, Tim. Talk about storylines. Yeah, We're not going to have to really, look far for many in September. I don't really think you can look at this like Kirby Smart did this for from a recruiting angle, because let's be honest, they don't have trouble recruiting. Yeah. They don't need help recruiting. They do a great job recruiting. I mean, Scott Cochran and Kirby are close. This could be Kirby taking a chance on a friend, you know, a yeah. guy that's – a, a guy that he's close with, a guy that's, you know, wanted a change and needed a change. So, I mean, it could be as simple as that. I think it won't hurt recruiting, but I think Kirby Smart's going to recruit fine. I mean, he's, he's having, you know, he's turning into a revolving door of coaches, you know, it's very similar to Alabama coaches in and out, you know, Nick Saban hasn't really missed a beat and Kirby Smart's always going to recruit well. So I don't think there's some weird ulterior motive here. I think Scott Pro- Cochran probably worked this and, you know, got a chance on the field is what he, which is what he wanted. Yeah, and it, and there were rumblings of this going back to Lane Kiffin's forming staff over at Ole Miss, I guess a couple months ago, that had Scott Cochran potentially going on the field for the Rebels. I think patience paid off for Cochran uh, in this instance, uh, instead of you know, being a part of a program that, as we know, parentally is is not among the very best in the SEC. He goes to a top five program in college football right now, at least in the Georgia Bulldogs. And, you know, I, I don't I don't know if 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 Scott Cochran will prove to be an ultra dynamic recruiter. But as you know, you, there's no way you're going to get a job for a guy like Kirby Smart or Nick Saban if the belief is you don't have some upside as a recruiter. And so absolutely. We'll see how it goes from that perspective. Now, there's been sort of this firestorm, too. You talked about it from the national media perspective, Tim, but uh, you've seen guys like Marquise Mays and some other former Alabama players responding, even some of the current players showing their dismay and Scott Cochran moving on. And, you know, I think what fans and some media and, and some folks just don't grasp is the amount of time that that person spends with the players. Uh, it's a it becomes a very personal relationship for a couple of reasons. Not only the quantity of time, Tim, but the the adversity that these guys are forced to overcome under these strength and conditioning coaches. Look, you're in there at 6 a.m. in the winter with Scott Cochran. You're out there at you know three in the afternoon in June and July in 100 degree heat running one tens with Scott Cochran. It is very much a time of discovery for these young people. In other words, they, they begin to understand that they can reach levels that they never thought themselves they could ascend to. And that becomes very personal because that's that person driving you to those heights. Uh, and so there's a sentimental aspect to this. And, and we know Tim has become much more sentimental in his advancing age here. Um, I, I think that's, I think that's the part a lot of people don't get either is that there's that bond that the, the strength and conditioning coaches develop. The good ones, anyway, do it. 
that, uh, you know, that's, that may be the toughest thing to replace with Scott Cochran. I think it's undoubtedly the toughest thing to replace, not just getting a guy that can, you know, get the most out of these guys physically, but develop that bond and that mindset to get them where they need to go. That's the trick for Nick Saban with this next hire, isn't it? Uh, yeah, you know, I think, you know, when you look at that, I mean, you make all good points. I just, you know, I don't even know where you start to look. I'm not sure if he wants to go in a different direction. You got that old school way of, you know, lifting and stuff. And you've seen a lot of people have talked to a lot of people that have different opinions on that, that, that could lead to some of the injuries Alabama's had. I'm not blaming Scott Cochran by any means. Um, I don't have any data to back that up, but I'm saying that, that old way. And you remember back fitness and weightlifters came a long way just since we were back in school when they were yelling at us for getting water, you know, I mean, they were, <laughs> you know, I was talking with this with the CEO, Shannon Terry yesterday. I remember coaches being pissed. Like it was a, you never knew if it was a test who needs water. Uh, right. Of course you do watch your soft, you know, of course, take this you, salt tablet. You'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, I mean, it's changed so much just in 40 years. So I think there is a new, you know, that, you know, dynamic stretch and a lot of the other stuff, a new age stuff could come into play. And that's the direction he goes. Now, most strength and conditioning coaches from a workout standpoint, the old school guys are pretty cut and dried. Um, Personality is what sort of sets them. You know, Scott Cochran yelled, yeah, 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 all day. The Oregon guys got the, you know, the the, the Wyatt Earp mustache. You know, you got these guys that have, yeah, you got sort of that. You know, they're intense. They get on Twitter. So, I mean. I'm really curious to see how what direction this goes. I mean, it could be somebody completely out of left field. There's enough guys linked to Alabama's strength and conditioning program. I mean, everybody you looked at had been under Cochran, it seems like, for at least a year. So there's a there's just a ton of options. Um, but yeah, you're gonna need a personality guys. Now the thing about it is there's a lot of other guys, you know, and as far as the reaction to him leaving, I can't think of hardly anybody who's left except for the coaches who were there. Like for one year, like Brian Baker or Kulowski, but the coaches that were there, uh, there's always a big miss. I mean, there's always guys that miss them. I mean, whether it be Jeremy Pruitt or Derek Ansley or Kirby Smart, I mean, Mario, all those guys, we've always seen the players' reaction that they miss them. Um, Again, it, it goes back to that close relationship that is developed. So, what you saw yesterday, to me anyway, Tim, for Marquise Mays and some other guys, you should expect that. I mean, that that should be expected, you know. Um, but that doesn't mean that the next person can't come in and 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 quickly establish that sort of relationship. I mean, that's that's where that job starts is on the very personal level. And so, look, and you're right. It, there there are a number of different directions. If we just want to talk sports science, and by the way. How about Nick with that little flex on the way out the door for Scott Cochran yesterday and wishing Scott luck at UGA, but at the same time reassuring the fan base that he'll find the very best candidate to maximize the uh, the, the the efficiency of the athletes in the new Sports Science Center. Nick flexed on him. That's coming here in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I, I, so he, he didn't seem to be too upset about it. Um, and like I said, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, a, a change of scenery is good for everybody involved. I mean, it would have been hard uh, had Alabama wanted to make a change at the strength and conditioning position. That would have been a hard move for Saban to make, don't you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, letting Scott Cochran go because you want to try something different. Also, you saw Cochran, you know, to, to get out of that, went on the field. I just I just found it just to read the national guys who are who are worse and worse every year. Very uneducated. I mean, if it's not a Twitter highlight, a lot of national guys have no opinion. Uh, it was really odd to see exactly. I mean, Kurt Herbstreit. It was a. It's the end of the dynasty. I mean, dude, yeah. spin your record. Well, and, you you've got some guys. Times, and, yes. How many times can it end? You know, it's ridiculous to think well, it's not going to end without Saban leaving. Tim, you've got some people out there though that have been calling this shot for what five or six years now. And so anytime something like this happens where there is a departure of note or a highly visible individual that leaves the program anyway, you know, that's it, it's it's kind of in a lot of instances the same folks, you know, that have been calling this shot since really the old Miss loss here in Tuscaloosa in 2015. So oh, eventually if you call your shot enough, eventually you'll be right. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, they gave up on the Sabins leave, and that was the rhetoric for five years. They all look like dumbasses on that. 
Um, they turn around and they find something else every day. I mean, yesterday was just, you know, I just national media. They it's funny how they all have the same opinion for the most part. It's almost like they're reading each other's tweets and just regurgitating the same take. Well, it's the easy. That's take. not a. It's, it's not the a, easy take. It doesn't require a, any. It doesn't require any. Uh, well, it was know, definitely the thing was weird. It was definitely a good move, in my opinion, for Georgia. And that could have been. It definitely wasn't. Per, it wasn't Alabama lost Cochran or Kirby took Cochran. You know that was the that was the one. I don't think they knew. I think from it wasn't like for like. No, they, and they, I think, Georgia yeah, did not take Scott Cochran as its strength coach. Absolutely. Now you got an issue too. What is the Georgia strength and conditioning guys' thoughts right now? Because Scott Cochran's not going to be quiet in that weight room, so he's going to go from the boss to the co-boss in that weight room, I'm guessing. So there could be some friction. There's a lot of stuff to work out. Yeah, Kirby uh, uh, has a uh, he's going to have a special teams coordinator in Scott Cochran, but in a lot of instances, what you see even with Jeff Banks right now at Alabama, your special teams guy also coaches a position. Scott is just going to coach special teams, which goes back to your point that he should have time to assist in some other areas of the program, like strength and conditioning. Yeah, this could this could have been just a token hire, you know, to make Scott happy. And Scott might think he's on the field. And don't they have a kicking uh, instructor at Georgia, a kicking specialist on staff? I thought I read that yesterday. They have in the past. And I I know they've had Uh, even former players like Kevin Butler. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. So they've got a guy that's focused on kicking the ball. So I guess his job will be making sure they run down in the lane, stay in their lanes. Yeah, and and also try to, you know, how they got get back coaches. And, and Cochran, Cochran was a, pretty much a get back coach yeah, here he in was, Alabama. He was pretty good at that too, because Nick. <laughs> what he'll try to do as special teams coordinator is stop Kirby from calling bad fakes, like the one he called in the. Uh, CC championship oh, game. He'll be the get back coach for bad fakes yeah, called by Kirby. I think, I think it's interesting. I think it's fun. I I don't uh I don't yeah. think it was nearly as big a deal. If I was a Georgia fan, I'd be excited. And as an Alabama fan, I think our the Alabama fans' reaction have been subdued because we had a large amount uh, of uh fans who thought that every injury was Scott Cochran's responsibility. I mean, you <laughs> saw that. I mean, they single-handedly like wanting to talk to Scott about it a lot of times, which is, you know, is uh, kind of weird. But um, it was an interesting day, nevertheless. Yeah, it was uh, an otherwise subdued, sort of quiet Monday afternoon in late February. Got some sudden juice uh, yesterday uh, at BOL and and our other uh, partner sites there on the 247sports.com network. So. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about moving forward, you talk about Saban doing what he needs to do. You know, Alabama's won five national championships under Nick Saban. Four of those, you had four different offensive coordinators for those five. So that tells you that Nick Saban and Alabama have been able to weather change pretty well. And uh, I'm guessing we both believe that'll be the case once again, uh, as long as Nick Saban is in that uh, position as head coach. Here in Tuscaloosa. Now, up in Indianapolis, Tim, we've got uh, the Underwear Olympics, also known as the NFL Scouting Combine, underway. Yesterday, on Monday, we heard a lot about hand sizes and measurements and weights, primarily with the quarterback position, although you had wide receivers and I think tight ends involved in that, too. Very big week, very big few days, really. You narrow it down, you boil it down for Tua Tonga Vailoa, Tim, and Monday and today. I mean, that's really the the window for him because he's not going to participate in on-the-field work on Thursday when the quarterbacks do that with the wide receivers. But the early the early word coming out of Indy anyway, pretty positive for Tua as he moves through this process. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Yeah, I think when you look at it, you know, I predicted this, I think when we talked a month or so ago, 
Burrow was on was, you know, whenever you've got especially the media is looking for an angle to talk about. But this one's a pretty natural. You really had Tua at his lowest, in my opinion. You had him injured, uh, questions about his medical. He hadn't thrown the ball in a while. He didn't finish the season. Then you had Joe Burrow, who basically had a perfect college season, maybe the best in the history of football. Did got everything he did was right. Great reads, everything he did. Joe Burrow was fantastic. So I knew they'd start to chip away at Burrow. So there's really only one way he could go. With two, it was the opposite. He, he could only go up. And we saw him come in with a 10-inch hand, you know, left-handed hand he throws, which is a nice-size hand for a, uh, a six-foot quarterback, you know, big hand. And then, the, you know, the, the medicals are being reported that everything's fine there. Now, he's not going to get to throw, obviously, but his stock, to me, is going up. Now, I don't think Joe Burrow's stock has fallen, but you're seeing more and more people discuss, could Tua go ahead of Burrow, who's also not going to throw? And, you know, yesterday everybody made a huge deal about it. He had nine-inch hands and – um, I mean, obviously, you know, hand size, people think it doesn't. It does play a factor for a quarterback. It's not so much can he grip a football because he's been gripping a football his whole life. But can he grip a football in Buffalo in December, in November? Yeah. Can yeah. he grip a football in October in Seattle when it's pouring down rain? So with that, with Joe Burrow's size, it's just going to make him go back to the film and watch him in uh, uh, in the rain and the snow or the, not the snow, but the cold weather and see. And he'll be fine there. But. Two, I thought I seen his stock rise. You know, it's it's interesting. Burrow's not throwing, and of course, if I was him, I wouldn't throw it either. He doesn't need to. But I think we're seeing that debate heat up, whether it's Tua or it's Burrow, because a healthy Tua this year, it would be a very heated debate if he'd have finished this year who to take. So yeah, I don't. I think if Tua goes the the whole 13, 14, 15 games in 2019, there's zero debate. I think the fact that you're even hearing what you're hearing about Tua in relation to Joe Burrow as being a, a competitor uh, for a, a higher draft slot in this draft, coming off a hip do- dislocation and a wall fracture tells me anyway that if Tua has the full 13, 14, 15 games, Tim, he's the slam dunk. And you, and you talk about hand size, and we laugh about stuff like that because we do get into the very micro uh, uh, of this stuff when it comes to the draft process. But you're right. I mean, it is important. If you're going to go to Cincinnati and play in the AFC North, which means in November, December, and hopefully in January, you might be playing some home games. Uh, stuff like that can matter. You, you yeah. talked about Seattle. Russell Wilson is, what, 5'11"? But the mm-hmm. dude has hands bigger than even Tua. They're 10-plus I measured, I measured mine yesterday, and they're bigger, <laughs> they're bigger than Joe Burrow at 5'8". So it's definitely... It's not ideal, but it's, like I said, with Burrow, I think he's good enough. Everything else checks out. He's definitely a top-five pick and uh, heavily considered number one. I think they just go back and double-check what they think they know, if that makes sense. You know, you go back and say, was the ball slip-sliding around that day they played in the rain and all that kind of stuff. So I think he'll be fine. But with the quarterback and a wide receiver, I was shocked Jawan Jennings only had, from Tennessee, only had nine-inch chance. For a wide receiver, that, that kid's a monster. I mean, yeah. he's six two, six three. He's a monster to have nine inch hands. Um, and again, I don't know if I ever saw the guy drop a ball. So it's not, you know, it's just something to talk about, something to lead into. But I think this debate when Tua throws, if he's able to throw, and you know, at the Alabama Pro Day or whatever, I think we're going to have quite the debate on this. And I've said this too. I'm not even sure the the guy who goes number one is not the loser instead of the winner. I mean, the Bengals. I've looked at their roster several times. That is not a very good roster. It's not. Uh, that is not a roster to protect Burrow. That is not. I'll tell you this. There isn't nearly as much talent on that offense as Burrow and Tua had this year. There's well, no there's, doubt. There's, not there's, been, there's been talk and some hope coming out of Cincinnati that the Bengals might end up proving to be like the 49ers in making that dramatic turnaround. Well, by simply upgrading at the quarterback position. Well, we can talk about offensive pe- personnel. I don't see the defensive people for Cincinnati <laughs> that San Francisco has right now. And you can start right up front on that defensive line uh, for more on that. But I agree. I think if Burrow goes, does in fact go number one to Cincinnati, you know, that exposes Tua to some quality teams looking to move up perhaps to fill the void at quarterback and get over the hump at that position. And, 
yeah, that could be a, a end up being a very, very up, good thing for Tua. You know who could end up the winner? And if Detroit does, for some reason, hold on to this three pick and take Tua or Burrow, I mean, the real winner could be the guy going at fifth or sixth to Miami or San Diego because that's San Diego and Miami are going to be in a lot better shape right out of the gate to win than those two. So, yeah. And- uh, uh, also, it's just not, you know, it's not really even, you know, a sexy fit from a PR standpoint, you know, like two is, you know, you look at two and you sort of see him as a Raider, I think, or you see him as a Dolphin. He just sort of fits in there. You could see him as a Charger. I don't know if I could see him in a dome with the Lions. You know, it's sort of hard to, to mentally get around. And, you know, Burrow, I think, is a natural fit being from the state of Ohio. But there's just a lot of work. You know, there's a reason those teams are drafting in the top five. But you know, overall, the rosters are in really bad, you know, bad shape for both two and Burrow. They could actually be, you know, you know, sometimes you lose when you win, like Rosie Perez says, and uh, white men can't jump. So not ideal yeah. situations. And, and some some uh, veteran quarterbacks could end up being winners in this. If you're Matthew Stafford, and you're there in Detroit. Maybe you get shipped out to Los Angeles with the Chargers. Uh, and, and that leaves the, the lions to draft a guy like Tua. it could, it could go a couple different ways when you're talking about, uh, newcomers at the position in the NFL and some guys that have been around. Let me ask you this. Are you as excited? And I don't think it's been a while to see Henry Ruggs run as I am. I have been (laughs) waiting for this moment for three years and I don't know, he's going to disappoint me. If he doesn't run a three nine eight, you know, I'm so I'm so hyped to watch Henry Ruggs run. I've been beating this drum. I think he's I think he's better than Judy from an NFL standpoint. I think he's better than CeCe Lamb. I just think he's a totally different animal. While Judy and Lamb are going to be really good NFL guys, it wouldn't surprise me if they're Pro Bowl. Both of them are great, especially Judy. I love Judy. But Ruggs has got that Tyreek Hill in him yeah. that. Every defensive coordinator has trouble planning for, um, you know, and last year I thought Tyreek Hill and Christian McCaffrey, if I'm a defensive coordinator, who don't I want to defend and game plan around? It was those two jokers. I didn't know how you really defended them. The 49ers did a great job with Hill, but I think Henry, you know, he comes in, speaking of hand size, he comes in at over 10 inches, Yeah. you know, at a 5'11 guy, you know, we used to see him stick his elbow in the rim, 74 inch wingspan, great ball skills, could be a special teams guy. So I'm really excited to see what rugs can do. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And with the combine moving more into a primetime slot for its coverage on the NFL network. Yeah, Thursday evening, Thursday night, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on those wide receivers in general with Henry Ruggs the third leading the way. And I agree with you in terms of his NFL upside because you saw a lot of that at Alabama. It wasn't. Here's the thing about Henry Ruggs III. He doesn't need a lot of touches to get into the end zone. When you look at his efficiency rate from a touchdown perspective in these three seasons here at Alabama, offensively, Tim, we're talking about a guy who touched the ball 100 times in three seasons. That's not really a ton. That's what, 33 touches on offense per year? You know how many touchdowns he scored on 100 offensive touches? 25. So once every four times Henry Ruggs III touched the football on offense, he scored a touchdown. You know, and and you look at a guy playing defense on special teams. He's out there even in the bowl game. Mm -hmm. um, A competitor, if you watch him play basketball, he's a freak. We throw that that term around too much, but Henry Ruggs is a freak. They had video the other day. He was racing DB, air quotes, racing DBs and just absolutely murdering them. Um, so fast. I'm not even sure he knows. I mean, this, I think it's the first time this guy's really training to, to run this thing. So, but I mean, to me, you know, the balls, you remember the catch at LSU two years ago, it was behind his back and high and he reached out running as fast as he could to his left and reached behind him and caught a ball. Um, incredible ball skills. Just, you know, what thing is irritating me about this combine? I'm looking at these numbers. What the hell is 30 and four eights? That's the numbers they're putting. Seven, Henry Ruggs' wingspan is 74 inches and four-eighths. What is a four-eighth? I thought that was one-half, but, you it's know, that, I never it, made it past Algebra 1. So it's a type of, but it's several. Here's Jedrick Willis, 83 and four-eighths. Arms, 34th and two-eighths. Huh. What yeah. the heck is that? I don't know. 
Just a sounds, side note. That give sounds me, British. It doesn't sound, doesn't sound American, does it? Make Hank and Potter fig, do yeah. some research. Figures. Are we going to start using stones for weight now, too, like they do in boxes? Boxing, yeah, I'm sure you know, there's a three reason, stones but, and two pebbles or something like that. Yeah, maybe there's a reason. It's just out of the blue noticing it's driving me, it's driving me nuts. <laughs> Yeah, but you're you're right too about Henry Ruggs the third. I think what you're seeing with a lot of the draft analysts and draft geeks and people like that is it's all the talk has been about the 40 and the speed. But when you watch the tape, what you see is a all around football player. This isn't some track guy who stumbled across, stumbled upon football. He was more of a basketball guy who stumbled upon football than anything else uh, in high school back in Montgomery. Uh, but this is a dude, you're right, you can hand it to him. You saw that against New Mexico State, first play of the game. Pretty much hand it to Henry Ruggs III, and he goes, what, 75 yards for a touchdown. Um, I, I don't think he's as dependent upon catching the football to give you explosive plays. That's where I think that's that's more along the lines of what Jerry Judy's going to be, whereas you can line Henry Ruggs III up in a number of different spots, the backfield, in the slot, out wide, whatever you want to do with him, return game. And uh, he can he can produce uh, I just did, some yeah, big I just plays for you. Judy, I think, has every all NFL written all over him. Same, you know, CC Lamb, who's going to be slower than Judy. But like you said, you can line him up anywhere. Do you remember the play? Was it Arkansas? Where was it where they threw the interception? And we got that great camera angle of Rubs running this guy down with like a huge head start. And he was running, and he assumed everybody else was going to make the tackle. Was and it when they, Tennessee when Tua it, it might threw have it on the goal line? And yes, and yeah. he he grabbed a gear. He was he was running. For me, it'd be a dead sprint, and I'd be in the hospital for two weeks. So he was jogging, and when he saw that he had to make the play, he grabbed a gear, and he, he looked just like a cheetah running down a you know running down a you know a baby gazelle in the you know in the in the whatever they'd be in the whatever desert safari whatever it is so his speed is just unbelievable to me i'm a big basketball guy guys that have basketball skills his basketball film is great um i think he's going to be the fastest riser and even if he's not i mean i would love to see him on teams like the ravens uh the saints teams like that can you imagine the ravens who are basically putting together an Olympic four by 400 team as it is adding Henry Ruggs to that speedy, speedy offense they're running. So just a lot. I'm pretty excited about, I mean, I'm excited about Judy. I know what Judy's going to do. Um, I know I pretty much know what Judy is. I don't think the rest of the nation knows how good Ruggs is yeah. because, because they're not all tweeting. The national guys aren't tweeting it at the same time. Now they're going to get a lot smarter after he runs. You watch Twitter. They're going to become Henry Ruggs geniuses. Yeah, right. you're gonna you're gonna have that that tweet up is gonna go down uh is gonna go down Thursday afternoon into yeah, Thursday he's evening. Run, he's gonna run a four three something. Somebody's gonna say he's fast, and then twenty people are gonna say he's fast. That's the worst part about the draft process in general, though, Tim, is that we get people who are telling us what we have seen for the last three years as if it's breaking news. You know, the draft yeah. analyst. It's 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 not like any of it was real until the draft analyst tells us that, in fact, it was real. What we have all been watching for the last three years. That you is, in fact, they can't there. confirm that Henry Ruggs III is fast. Like, if you're a national NFL guy, you think there's some schools you watch quite frequently. Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia. There's probably six or seven schools I'd watch every week. That's just me. And I'm not a national NFL guy, but I watch all those schools every week. So, it's going to it'll it'll help you out because there's so many prospects, you know, like with Alabama, <clears throat> a lot of people didn't even realize Devonta Smith outside of the state of Alabama or people around the Alabama program who followed Alabama realized he led Alabama and, you know, all the statistics this year. And nobody even talked about Smith until he just murdered Ole Miss. I mean, yeah. it was just like he was an afterthought. And then he goes gonzo, which we always knew he could do. <clears throat> My point is you can watch Alabama and Henry Ruggs can look better than everybody. And the next game, it could be Judy or it could be Waddle. So you really have to get a lot of eyes on him. You do. And Devontae, he had that injury sort of plague sophomore year after the big catch against Georgia in the national championship game as a true freshman. So he had kind of gotten off the radar a little bit after that play against the dogs. But 
Absolutely. Right. Uh, you're talking about a guy in Devontae Smith. He's not at the combine this week, and he led Alabama in 2019 in receiving yards and touchdown receptions. And we'll be back for Alabama Hey, in uh, 2020. Hey, Tim, I wanted to ask you this. If we think about a year from now from the Alabama perspective and we look at who Alabama brings back that will be draft eligible after the upcoming season, who are some guys that maybe right now a lot of people wouldn't expect to be at next year's combine and perhaps even prominently mentioned among combine participants a year from now sort of what like Quinnen Williams was a couple years ago going into that 2018 season that 2018 spring two years ago at this time no one was talking about Quinnen Williams as being you know a top five pick for the 2019 NFL draft if we had to pick one or two guys from this upcoming Alabama team that could be that kind of guy which direction would you go there you know, I'm, the guy I love, and I mean, he's obviously because of position, probably not going to be super high. I think Deontay Brown is one of the best interior linemen yeah. in the country. Um, and that's what I was saying, like, when, Al, you know, we were discussing when Alabama, they got guys like Landon Dickerson and Deontay Brown back who were draft eligible and who would have made NFL rosters. So I love Deontay. You know, the one that could be lightning in a bottle could it not be uh christian barmore yeah i mean he's a guy he's going to be draft eligible if he clicks the small things click we we know he knows how to get to a quarterback he could be a guy sees his stock just skyrocket i would i would i would agree with christian barmore uh very much along the same lines that you mentioned from a maturity standpoint if he takes that next step in terms of taking care of every aspect of his position We know he can make plays. We know he is very, very good in one-on-one pass rush situations. If it's as simple as third and eight and Christian, you're going to whip this guard and get to the quarterback. We know Christian Barmore can do that. So some of the the perceived smaller things that are bigger in the eyes of NFL uh, draft evaluators, uh, he cleans some of that stuff up, becomes a little more disciplined in his play. Yeah, he would probably be the – the, the, the pick for most. I like the Deontay, uh, Deontay Brown pick because absolutely from a pure power standpoint, this is a guy who can absolutely get the job done. Um, I think Landon Dickerson's versatility is certainly going to help him a great deal. Uh, you know, in, in the eyes of NFL people. And as you pointed out, I think perhaps as early as this year, that would have been the case. Not that he would have been, you know, a first or maybe even second round draft pick, but I do agree that, uh, that he certainly could have made an NFL roster for the upcoming season. So uh, that speaks to the benefit that Alabama has from those guys coming back for a, another year. Tim, hey, uh, you ready to get in this BOL mailbag on this week's sure. edition of T. Watts and TR? Uh, Bama, 43-5-3-3. He gets right to the point, Tim. Why is Kirby Smart so obsessed with Nick Saban? Is there an obsession? I don't know if there's an obsession as much as, you know, imitation is the most sincere, sincere form of flattery. I mean, that's really all Kirby knows is is how Nick did it. I mean, he he learned under Nick. They were together forever. It's not a far leap to imagine that their mindset would be very similar. You know what I mean? So you got a guy who was under Nick Saban, who was very successful. And I would imagine that Mario... Crystal Ball and Billy Napier and all those guys take some stuff from uh, Nick Saban. Now, Kirby's a defensive guy. Nick's a defensive guy. Kirby's a defensive back guy. Nick's a defensive back guy. So there's a lot of parallels between that and how much they look together and in the competitive spirit of he wants to beat Nick Saban's ass. You know, he's a that's the same way, you know, Nick, he just beats off his assistants butts as it is. Um, so he hasn't really had that defeat yet. But you got to imagine that for Jeremy Pruitt and. And all those guys, it'd be quite the honor to beat Nick Saban, to be the first assistant that could do it, you know, on top of the competitiveness. I don't know if there's an obsession. I know that Alabama's never far from Kirby Smart's mind. I believe that to be 100% true, um, regardless of the the dogs barking if they hear that. But uh, 
I think that that, you know, it's obvious that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of similarities that Kirby's trying to do that Nick Saban's done, which doesn't make him a bad guy. It makes him a smart guy. Obviously, if you're going to imitate, you know, imitate the best. Here's what I wonder sometime with Kirby. Is he too caught up in what Alabama has been and what Nick Saban has had in the past? more so than he is in moving forward. In other words, yes, you know, you see a, a lot of the, the, the same type of approach from Kirby in terms of personnel and organizational setup and those type of things over there at UGA. But I haven't seen Kirby evolve yet in some ways in which the old man has. Kind of what you would think to be the 180. You would think Kirby offensively, would be evolving towards RPO and you know the quarterback being a factor with his legs more and those type of things. We haven't seen that with Kirby yet at Georgia. Maybe we'll see it again, as I mentioned earlier, new offensive coordinator coming in there. Georgia the last couple of years has been really easy to figure out on offense. Meanwhile, Alabama has graduated, thanks in large part, to having a ultra-dynamic quarterback or two even with Jalen Hurts and his legs and Tua and all the different things he could do in the passing game, we've seen a more diverse offense, I think it's safe to say, uh, a more futuristic approach, I think you could say, on the offensive side of the ball than we've seen. With I think Kirby, you know, while it's nice to sort of work from that Saban manual and it makes total sense to do so, when are we going to see Kirby do something sort of outside the box that, that isn't within the book of Saban, I we, guess is what I'm asking. We saw it. It was the fake punt. <laughs> he went against the norm. Against Nick's run some pretty bad fakes himself. My favorite your part point was, is I, know, I know they were in punt fake. Okay, well then, all right. But we told Justin Fields we were running this for three weeks. Yeah. So it's yeah. got to go. Um, I think uh, I think Georgia reminds me of Saban's early Alabama team. So it's almost yeah. like Kirby's a chapter back in the Saban book. Right. Um, <clears throat> those teams were successful, though. Uh, and Kirby's, you know, Kirby's having success, not the success the Georgia fans want, but they're successful. Sure. They're going to bowl games or winning bowl games or, you know, competed for a championship. They're recruiting well. Um, I think he's just more comfortable defensively putting that monster defense together and trying to limit the turnovers and win games. You remember Alabama fans were bored to death and they were winning, you know, every game like a boa constrictor, just sort of squeezing the opponent to death little by little. So um, offensively, I think he's tried to make some changes. I mean, they had a chance with fields. You roll the dice there. You definitely have a more dynamic quarterback than Justin Fields, or you got Jake Fromm, who is more of a game manager. You had to make a decision there. He chose Jake Fromm, obviously, um, and that they ran the offense that they could. Now he's got some better receivers coming in. I just don't know. I think Kirby early in his career is a little bit risk adverse. So I think you're going to see more of the same until he strikes that. You know, you get that lightning in the bottle. You get a Tua. You get a Bryce Young. You get a Drake May, who, by the way, is a monster. Back-to-back commitments with Bryce Young and Drake May is unbelievable. Um you get those kind of games, guys that can change the game. Now, you can roll the dice. Now, again, he had his guy in Justin Fields, and he yeah. chose not to roll the dice. Still still had some good seasons, still put together some good seasons. Um, but, you know, you wonder could Justin have pushed him over the edge. But it's more than just the quarterback. It was more than just Tua. Alabama went full throttle. They had three unbelievable wide receivers come in that group. They had great offensive linemen. They had great running back depth at the time and they also had um you know that second class with waddle and them come in so it takes a collective effort so i mean i think right now you're right there it's hard i mean they lost to the south carolina team uh for instance where they should have scored 35 points i mean you saw alabama score almost at will against south carolina in columbia georgia's going you know could have easily outscored them uh so yeah i mean he's gonna have to step it up because i mean alabama is almost an offensive program right now yeah, your personnel point there is well taken. But I still go back to 2018. Look at that group Georgia had that year at the wide receiver position, Riley Ridley. I, if I'm a Georgia fan, I'm sick watching McCole Hardman do what he does for the Kansas City Chiefs, knowing that you had him. And I don't think maximized his talents during his time in Athens. You had 
better options at tight end two years ago than you had in 2019. So 2019, it kind of made sense. Yeah, the surrounding cast with Jake Fromm, even if Justin Fields is the guy, I don't know, other than DeAndre Swift and really the running back depth in general for that team last season, if it would have been enough. Uh, but I'm I, I'm waiting to see this this dynamic version of Kirby on the offensive side of the ball that we, we haven't seen as of yet. Again, and, maybe, hey, maybe that happens with Monken. Well, it might be. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> I'm saying that's not the guy I expect to change the whole dynamics. You know what I mean? You look at it like – It takes people, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, it's like LSU. I mean, I I personally believe Joe Brady got probably too much credit uh, uh, and M's finger didn't get enough. But I think Joe Brady was enough in a, of an assist to M's finger to change what LSU had done, if that makes sense. So – um, I think you got to have those guys that sort of make you think out of the box. You know, it's almost like your kids helping you, you know, you know, you know, figure out something like TikTok. You know, that's yeah. not something you're absolutely going to get on your own. Kids can help you out. So you get that young guy, that fresh way of thinking out of the box. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think Kirby's just comfortable with what he's doing. You can't argue with his success. Any other the program in the country, you know, would be really happy with what he's done the first few years. But, you know, it's been a while for Georgia since they won a national championship. So obviously that's the, uh, you know, that's the uh, cherry on top that they're trying to get to. They're not, they've had enough of the desserts. They want to get to that. You know, they want to get that ring. No doubt. And the stuff we're talking about offensively, it, it, it doesn't really matter at the coordinator level, if the head coach isn't all in on it, you know, we, no, your point about your point about Steve Ensminger, you know, Steve Ensminger may have wanted to do a lot of the exact same things that Joe Brady does, but until Ed Orgeron, totally greenlit it with Brady coming in, it wasn't going to matter, right? I mean, so absolutely. Uh, that that kind of gets lost in the in the mix a little bit there too, and uh, that's ultimately where it's it's got to come from. Let's get back into this mailbag, Tim. Bama Barn 17, he's wanting to know, are we going to come up with a strength and conditioning coach hot board? You know, we've always had hot boards for coordinators, like offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. Uh, a strength and conditioning hot board. We talked about Aaron Feld of Oregon a little bit earlier in the podcast. He was a volunteer assistant. He is an in-state guy, too, initially, originally. Aaron Feld was a volunteer assistant here under Scott Cochran at Alabama, 2013-2014-ish. He has gone on to become the head strength and conditioning coach at the University of Oregon. Also had a stop there with Kirby at UGA. Um, Wilson Love. Man, it's crazy when we start talking about guys that we've covered in recruiting being yeah, a uh, coaching candidate per, uh, prospects, Tim. That that, that kind of speaks to our age a little bit, my man. Your age. I'm still same age with <laughs> you. I'm sentimental and 30, buddy. Yeah, it's a different animal. I mean, when you look up, I mean, it really hit me hard this year when Freddie Roach was a uh, – yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew he was a coach, you know, but I was, I'm reading like uh, – Domenico Ryans is a coach with the 49ers. I mean, there's definitely, yes, definitely putting some age on us. Is a hot board, you know, I, I don't have a clue. I've reached out to numerous sources. Nobody seems to know because he's never had to recruit. You know, he's never had to hire this position. So I think it comes down, does he want more of the same or does yeah. he want to change it up a little bit? Because there's got to be guys. I mean, there's so many different ways to go. And I'm not sure there's a big rush on this. I mean, whatever fourth quarter program they were doing, they can still do it without Scott Cochran. It's not Scott Cochran wasn't handling everything. There's plenty of guys in there helping them in the weight room. Yeah, he's I mean, well not, staffed. Not, yeah. Yeah. And he's yeah, well staffed. So they're still doing the same schedule. Just nobody's yelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so that so for that that changes the motivational aspect changes of it. But. I really don't have a clue. I mean, you see the guys, there's so many options that have been mentioned underneath uh, Cochran or out, you know, Alabama at the same time. They could go in so many directions that they want more of the same. But Let me ask um, you this. Let me ask you this. If Saban goes sort of outside the Cochran tree, let's call it, does that say to you that perhaps there might be something to this injury narrative with strength and conditioning here in recent years uh, as far as is, is switching it up and and maybe trying some different things with someone who's totally outside absolutely the, the, the tree there under Scott absolutely if you go and you're getting you know the you know you're going completely different than what they've been doing I think it would be an indication that they felt that maybe they weren't maximizing it um, 
or you know, really just a change. You know, sometimes like I said change is needed. I, but overall I think, perspective, yeah. You, you know, what I mean, yeah. I mean, people, you know, if he goes in a different, you know, completely different way, I think you'll see that. Yeah, he's bought into the, you know, something. He's got some kind of data to suggest that maybe it'd be healthier and more beneficial to, you know, maybe not bulk up so much and work more on core strength. I sound like an idiot talking like some YMCA trainer, but you know, I think that. There's several directions he could go, and that's why I'm curious to see what happens. Obviously, he wants to get somebody like Cochran. He can. Um, they, you know, most of the strength and conditioning guys. You know, I'm not saying they're like Cochran personality-wise, but I'm saying their programs are probably probably pretty dang similar, considering they all probably come from basically the same tree. Um, so yeah, if he goes completely outside, I think it's definitely we we're we're going in a different direction because we weren't happy where we were for sure. There you go. As we wrap up the mailbag on this Tuesday edition of T. Watts and T.R. here on the Built by Bama online podcast, Ronnie Bismuth wants to know our thoughts on Nate Oates' first year as men's basketball coach at Alabama and chances of Alabama making the NCAA tournament. Well, Ronnie, I think it uh, it's a game-by-game situation, literally, and a big one tonight over in Starkville is Alabama. At seven and seven in the league now, following that win on Saturday night over in Oxford, 103-78, 103 points in regulation for this team. Uh, now tries to get it done on the road one more time against Mississippi State. Uh, Tim, I think it's uh, it's kind of play-in mode for both these teams tonight over there in Starkville. Yeah, you know the thing. <clears throat> this, I, first of all, I love NATO. I've said it several times. I believe in everything he's doing. Considering he's got basically the same roster this year as he did last year, they really should have the Villanova kid. I think they've just made great strides. I think they've seen a lot of improvement. Um, I think all the, I think he's putting people, you know, like I said, even the losses that are ugly, uh, you see the effort, you see the mistakes. And I mean, this team wasn't going to do a complete 180 from some of the stuff you've seen them do. Uh, I'm a huge fan of what he does. I mean, you saw him the other night. I mean, just incredible game against Ole Miss. Really struggled against a really good defensive Texas A&M team. Um, it's me. I think Alabama is one of the top 68 teams in the country. I think they're an NCAA team. They've still got to, you know, they've still got to prove it. I mean, the Texas A&M loss, you're looking at four games. They really need to win at Mississippi State or Missouri. You know, try to finish three and one. If they can get three and one, uh, you know, I think you're looking at 18 and 13. You're looking at win a game in the SEC tournament. To get in, um, maybe two, but that's the best situation you can really hope for. I mean, this team wasn't really considered NCAA tournament to begin with. I like he aims high. I like he's confident. I think he instills a lot of confidence. I love the way they recruit. I mean, I think they do a lot of things right. I, I feel really good with the direction of this guy. And I feel like mentally he's he's he has what it takes to compete. He's a fiery little guy. I mean, yeah. I, uh, he's a he's got some piss and vinegar in him, and I think we need you know Alabama basketball could use that infusion because if you remember Mark Godfrey's best year was when he was the biggest butthole he was when he got sort of relaxed and chilled out later in his career it got a little less but fiery Mark Godfrey was a was a fun basketball coach yeah another technical for Nate Oates last Saturday night in That's Oxford a, I mean Kermit Davis technical. yes. Kermit Davis won the technical battle, though, two to one and got sent to the showers a little early. But I agree. I think and you know, this is from a recruiting perspective. Kids love this style of play, man. It's a small ball era. It's all about guards. And in that area of the job, uh, you know, that that's where I think you're going to continue to see Alabama improve as much as anything and not just in terms of high school kids because he's shown Nate Oates has he'll work that transfer portal he'll work the JC ranks uh and and to go along with the the high school kids both here in uh the United States and and you're seeing him recruit Canada uh pretty hard at this point as well hey uh Tim as we get out of here speaking of finales uh one sort of off-topic topic we were going to hit on today worst Series slash season finale ever for a television show in your uh, in your perspective. I mean, the two that pissed me off the most was probably Seinfeld and Dexter. Um, Dexter, yeah. I just I just Lumberjack, didn't, come on. Yeah, 
Come on. I mean, you know, now he's, I mean, there should be a part two where he's killing every lumberjack. He's a serial killer. You know, I mean, he had to go out in a blaze somehow. Love the show. I don't know if they left it open-ended, possibly, for another movie, you know, because that was really popular at the time. Maybe he becomes like Rambo up there in the Pacific Northwest or something, Tim, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I mean, it was so weird that, you know, in Seinfeld, I never got exact, and, you know, a lot of times it's just not going to end well. There's very few finales you like. I loved, like, the Cheers finale. I thought Sam went out. I thought it was perfect. I love Breaking Bad finale. Anytime it's a finale, you're usually going to have a lot of What about the Sopranos finale? I liked it. I never understood. Okay. I'm not one of those guys, like, I'm, I'm a big reader. <clears throat> grew up reading. I don't really need to see the monster, like, in a movie. Like, I love the Blair Witch Project because my imagination fills in what the monster was. And I know some people need to see the monster. But it's been my, you know, to me, it's always been, like, when you see how if Tony lived or died, you're going to be disappointed either way. I think you just sort of figure it out from what happened, you know. Um, now, I do think sometimes they'll leave those open-ended and I'm ready to kill them. So, yeah, so I can I can definitely see that. But I like Sopranos. Did you like it? I thought it was fine. I agree on the open-ended nature of some of these. You wonder in some instances, like the Sopranos, if you know maybe some thought was being given to a movie at some point, you know, a return, right, of some kind. Unfortunately, James Gandolfini left us way too early. Uh and uh, so so that pretty much uh, went by the boards, I guess. But, um, you know, I'm old enough to remember the season finale in which J.R. was shot, Tim, on Dallas. Not sure if, if you're able to go back that far, but it ended up being sort of this dream sequence for the next season to open things up. I, I don't know. I didn't no, I'm, it, I'm I with you on Dexter, though. That, that was disappointing for sure. Yeah, I just don't um... – yeah, I just think sometimes you can get too tricky. But again, you know, they you know they might have been opening it up for a Dexter movie down the road. You know, that's yeah, that's still stuff that's happening. We just saw a Breaking Bad movie, so on a Netflix, so that could have been it. You know, usually though, when it's a finale, you know, it's going to end. You're not you're going to have a split decision. You're not going to have everybody loving how it ends, regardless. I mean, it's almost human nature to to argue against it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's almost, you know, and a lot of times you see, you know, you see that on social media a lot. You see people waiting to see the reaction to something. Then you got that one guy bucking the trend because we only noticed the guy bucking the trend. Paul Fombaum, Clay Travis have made careers out of it, you know, waiting to everybody's praising Saban. And then here's a story ripping Saban or vice versa. Colin Coward, uh, Stephen A. Yeah. Smith. Yeah. yeah. And that's Stephen A. Smith actually got a lot more positive. I remember when I couldn't stand him. Um, he's actually, to me, he's actually one of the few guys that have, uh, have improved. The worst one's that Skip dude. I mean, no grown man. Skip Bayless, yeah. You can't, you can't be 65. Hot takes. Skip. Hot takes. Yeah, the hot takes are never hot takes. Hot though. Take That's, TV. Like, yeah. I love Twitter because there are hot the takes. The room temp. The room temp yeah. takes. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I love Twitter because there are legitimate hot takes. Somebody <laughs> taking a stand saying two is going to go ahead of Burrow or whatever, or Burrow right. goes, what, take a stand. But the the ones that follow each other, the copycat. I mean, it's it's uh it's uh you know the you know it you can see the copycat in them. No doubt. Well, I guess that's gonna do it for this edition of T Watts and TR here on the Built by Bama online podcast. Uh, Tim, uh, of course, we're gonna continue to follow uh, the Scott Cochran story. Uh, obviously, more from the Alabama perspective to see exactly which direction Nick Saban goes at that spot. Um, got some big basketball games coming up for uh, Nate Oates' team, beginning with tonight's matchup with the Mississippi State Bulldogs over in Starkville. I believe our Charlie Potter is going to be on hand to cover that game at Humphrey Coliseum tonight, so you'll want to hang around the roundtable for live updates from Starkville on that one. But uh, never a bad time to join us, right, at BamaOnline.com. No, it's never quiet, as you just saw. I mean, it, it, it can be quieter. But it's never exactly quiet, so it's a good time to be on that message board. There's a lot of there's a lot of hot takes and original thought about Scott Cochran. I've enjoyed reading the. Uh, we have some very smart posters. You know, there's a lot of smart yeah. fans in the world now. Um, so informed, and we like to think we're uh, part of providing that service to the Alabama fans. So be sure to join us there at Bama Online. Dot com and on that premium message board, the roundtable. For Tim Watts, 
BOL publisher. I'm Travis Schreier, senior analyst for BOL. Thanking you once again for joining us here on TWATS and TR, part of the Built by Bama online podcast. We'll talk to you again real soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.